the Spectator's prestigious Economic Innovator of the Year Award in partnership with Investec and now in their sixth year. Wherever you're based in the UK, we can't wait to hear about the success of your business and the impact you're making on the economy and society in 2023. Applications are now open and will close June 16th. To learn more and apply, please visit spectator.co.uk forward slash innovator. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I am delighted to be joined by Stephen Edgington of The Telegraph today, and he's actually in the Spectator's office, which is nice because often Americano is down the line. Stephen, welcome. Thank you very much. We're going to be talking, aren't we, about the curious case of Sir Kim Darroch, who was, for uh, listeners who don't know, he was Britain's ambassador in the US from 2015 to 2019, and it was a fairly noisy tenure uh, that Derek had in Washington. Um, and it's come to light again in recent days because of a story that there is a court case going on uh, that the British government may have to accept the publication of Sex for Secrets. It's all rather twisty and confusing. So, Stephen, would you, you've been involved in this story from the start. Can you take us from the start what, what happened with Kim Derek? So Kim Darroch, Sir Kim Darroch, now Lord Darroch, of course, um, as you say, he was the British ambassador in Washington. And in 2019, Trump was president. And Kim Darroch has always been seen as a sort of a man of the left. He was appointed originally by Tony Blair. He served as a national security advisor to David Cameron. He's a, a real establishment figure. And he Particularly, I mean, we know now he supports Remain. He's the chairman of Best for Britain, a pro-Remain kind of rejoin group. So we sort of know his politics, and this was fairly well known, sort of you know, behind the scenes journalists, etc. Mm. Um, he had this reputation, and in 2019 he published and sent a memo back to London, as ambassadors do. So the role of an ambassador is basically to inform the government of what's going on in his posting or her posting, wherever she is or wherever he is. Mm. So um, Kim Darroch basically is explaining the American domestic political situation. And as he does this, he basically calls Donald Trump inept. He compares him to the Terminator. His language is is written basically like, it's like, it's like reading something out of a tabloid newspaper, the way that he writes about these figures, particularly the way he... He describes Donald Trump in this very sort of vivid um, and I would say negative language. Mm. And I was passed on some of these memos um, from a source and I published these memos with the help of the journalist Isabel Oakshot in the Mail on Sunday in July of 2019. And since then, so I think that was about four years ago, almost to the day, um, there has been a series of twists and turns involving Derek and other information that, that I found out. And I don't know how much you want me to go into the whole story. I'm, you know, I can explain the whole thing. It might take a few minutes. but um, Well, maybe come back to that, but yeah. keep going with the, yeah. So what happened in July 2019 was the Mail on Sunday published this story. It caused a huge row. Donald Trump was very unhappy. 
And he said, I'm never going to deal with this man ever again. I'm never going to have meetings with him. I'm going to exclude him from the diplomatic circle. Mm. He also tweeted saying he's a very stupid man in the sort of Trumpian language. So you had this, the President of the United States in a quite an unprecedented way absolutely going after the British ambassador. Now, this normally wouldn't be an issue in terms of the connections that Derek had. He was so well-connected. He was so well-liked by the British. Theresa May didn't want to be seen. She was the Prime Minister at the time. It was actually when the Tory leadership election was going on when she had to resign just after the European elections. Mm. And it was uh, Boris Johnson versus Jeremy Hunt. And it would look very embarrassing for Theresa May to have an ambassador forced out by a foreign president, and in particular by Donald Trump. Mm. It would look rather... Um, bad if she had to suddenly sack this man because of the pressure from Donald Trump. So she was very, very, very much resisting doing that, despite what he was saying, but despite what the president was saying. But what really sort of put the nail in the coffin for Derek was, as I say, at the time, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt were vying to be the Tory leader. And there was a leadership debate on television in which Boris Johnson refused to defend Derek. And that really ended his career because we, as we all knew, Boris Johnson was basically going to win that election. We knew he was, you know, we kind of had an idea where the Tory membership were going to go. Mm. So um, when, when Boris Johnson refused to defend Derek, that was kind of the end of the road for him. So five days after the original story in the Mail on Sunday was published, Derek had to resign from his position as ambassador. Now, he didn't leave straight away. Um, he actually stayed on for, for, for several months until a new ambassador came in. I think even, I think she came in in 2020. Mm. Karen Pierce, who's the new ambassador. Um, but that's what happened with the original story in the Mail on Sunday. Well, that's so that's a very good summary. And then uh, the let's get on to the uh, sex for secret allegation. Sex for secrets, I should say. The allegation is that Derek was having an affair with a journalist and that he was essentially giving her information while they were having this passionate love affair. Can you explain how that came out and the details of that and in as much as we can say legally. Yes. So these allegations have been made by a civil servant who is suing the government for misfeasance in public office. He is actually suing James Cleverly, who is the Secretary of State for the Foreign Office, and Kemi Badenoch, who is um, the Department for Business and Trade, um, their minister. And this civil servant used to be in the Department for International Trade, which has now become part of the Department of Business and Trade. So that's the reason that this story has come to light recently in the, in the newspapers, because this civil servant is making these allegations in his court claims um, against the government. And the government, in response to this, wants to uh, hold this claim in a secret court using mm. terrorism legislation called the Justice and Security Act. So they want all of this stuff basically hushed up so that not only can the press and the public not have access to this court claim where these allegations are being made and the evidence will be looked through and people will be questioned. Um, so not only the press and the public wouldn't be able to view that, but the actual claimant, the civil servant who is suing the government, wouldn't be able to see the evidence against him, nor would his lawyer, a special advocate, would be appointed by the government to review that evidence and defend him on his behalf. So this is an extraordinary state of affairs where you've got the government using what is nominally used in terrorism cases, the Justice and Security Act, to try and cover up potentially evidence involving these allegations. Now, the way these allegations originally came out 
was through a story that I published in The Sun. So in 2019, I was, I was a freelancer. A year later, I was working for The Sun newspaper. And in the summer of 2020, I received a tip-off that there was a potentially a big scandal involving um, now Lord Derek. Theresa May appointed him to the House of Lords after he resigned. Um, involving a journalist called Michelle Kaczynski. She worked for CNN. She was their diplomatic correspondent. She was in the White House. And Lord Derek. Now, at the time, they were both in Washington when, when Derek was the ambassador. And it came out that there were certain allegations that they were having an affair. They were both married at the time. And that Derek was leaking highly classified US intelligence to Michelle Kaczynski, who was then publishing said evidence in what were huge scoops. Now, Kaczynski was seen as a fairly lacklustre journalist. She wasn't seen as having great sources. And suddenly the Americans were discovering that she was asking very odd questions. Suddenly she had access to very, very top secret information. Mm -hmm. And they wondered, how is she getting these stories? This is absolutely extraordinary. And they, the American authorities were made aware that, that Lord Derek and Michelle Kaczynski were allegedly having an affair. Uh, it must be said, by the way, that Derek has never commented on these allegations. Kaczynski has denied that she's had this affair. She's denied that the stories came from Derek. As I said, Derek, in all these years since 2020, when I published this original story on the front page of The Sun under the headline Trumpy Pumpy um, in October 2020, uh, he's never commented on this. He's never denied it. He's never even been asked about it in an interview. And by the way, Derek does a lot of interviews on the BBC and LBC and other places. And mm -hmm. no journalist has ever asked him about this, which I find extraordinary. And I think you should ask him if you ever get the chance. He brought out a book, didn't he? He, he wrote a book just collateral before damage. Collateral Damage. So that was, again, I think it was published around September. 2020 so this was before my story came out about about the affair mm. and the other element to this which I think adds a bit even more drama is that after the 2019 publication of Derek's memos in the mail on Sunday Theresa May put pressure onto Downing Street to launch on oh, sorry Theresa May put pressure onto the Metropolitan Police to launch an investigation into these leaks and Neil Basu, who was the head of the Counterterrorism Command at the time, he put out an extraordinary statement saying that if journalists continue to publish leaked memos, we will arrest them and we will go after them. He had to then backtrack on that because this was seen as such an outrage, you know, a sort of attack on the freedom of the press. Mm. But never, uh, despite that, the police launched Operation Asperite. The Counterterrorism Command launched an investigation into those leaks of Derek's memos in, in 2019, in which I was investigated for two years. I had to have lawyers appointed for me. I had like five, four different lawyers. And actually, I, one of them was the same lawyer that Carol Cadwallader had in her case against Aaron Banks, which was very ironic. Um, thankfully, you know, all supported by the male who were absolutely brilliant throughout the whole, the whole, the whole thing. Mm. Um, but I had, yeah, I had this investigation into my story and, and my lawyers were telling me, you are going to be arrested. This is what you need to do when you are arrested. This is the legislation they'll use against you. Basically, the um, uh, the Official Secrets Act. Yes. Um, anyway, so in October 2020, I know this is really complicated. No, no, it's fascinating. Please carry on. And you're explaining it very well. So in October 2020, it, during that summer, I was investigating this this scoop into Derek's alleged affair and leaking. 
The police at the same time, in the summer of 2020, were working very hard and they were also investigating the original leak of that story. So in October 2020, they arrested a civil servant who worked in the Department for International Trade. 14 counter-terrorism police officers stormed his flat uh, in the early hours of, of, of an October morning um, and, and arrested him. By the way, at the same time, the civil servant was suffering from cancer. The police apparently weren't aware of this. He, um, he has serious mental health problems. He's very vulnerable. Um, he was very sick at the time, and they basically dragged him out of his sick bed and took him to a, a local police station and interrogated him. So they really destroyed this man's life. It caused him huge suffering. You can read all about his story. I've written about it in The Telegraph recently. Um, he had to go to a homeless shelter. He wanted to commit suicide. It was a complete disaster for him. Compare that behaviour of the police to what happened to Lord Darrock and his alleged leaking, and I think there's some hypocrisy there. Now, as I said, the American DOJ investigated the leaks that Michelle Kaczynski was getting. Um, I don't know the result of that investigation. Mm. But the Americans did look into it because it was a serious, you know, it was a serious thing. And Derek actually had to resign, as I said, in July of 2019. So maybe that investigation was closed because of that. I don't know, because Derek was no longer there. So why, there's no need to investigate and cause embarrassment. And by the way, it, this investigation, the DOJ investigation, w- would have been the first time a British ambassador or a British member, a, a British resident of um, our embassy in Washington had been investigated in such a manner since mm. uh, I think the 1950s when Kim Philby was uh, was in the embassy there. I think he was the head of MI6 in in the British embassy in Washington. Yes. So um so 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 this extraordinary state of affairs affairs where you've got a civil servant being arrested in October 2020, and just a day before his arrest, we had handed over to Kim Darrock to Lord Darrock um, what's called a right of reply. So when you're a journalist and you're making a series of serious allegations, and they were serious. Not only was he having this affair, allegedly, he was also apparently leaking these documents. Highly classified US intelligence. So you have to go to the the person you're making these allegations to and put them to them in case they want to comment. Mm. This is a very standard practice in journalism, and we had to do the same thing to Michelle Kaczynski, and we we tried to track her down, and I spoke, you know, I sent her messages and all this sort of thing. So the day that we, the next day after we sent Derek the right of reply letter, this civil servant was arrested. So some could say that's a coincidence. I don't know if it was. I don't know exactly what happened. Um, and then a few days later, fortunately, the Sun did publish the story um, the, 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 about his his alleged affair and leaking. So so anyway, that's a very long long and sort of garbled version of what happened. Well, uh, Kaczynski, we should emphasize has. Denied the affair. She's, um, she's denied the affair and she's denied that Derek was her source. So even when you say hypocrisy, we're only talking about an allegation of leaking still. We're not yeah, I mean, that. absolutely. It's an allegation of leaking. And, and Derek is, he, you know, he's said in his book, which I've read, and I, I don't want to be mean, but I'm not sure it's the most exciting book. It got very rave reviews in the Times. Um, uh, I've read it and I've have forgotten you, uh, most of it. <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, um, he, he's very upset about people leaking his memos. Very upset about it. In fact, he says that he wants to sit across the room in a prison and speak to the person who 
leaked his memos. That's what he says in the book. Mm. So uh, the fact that this man, you know, he's very much against leaking. Um, I think, you know, there's maybe some hypocrisy there. I don't know. Yeah. Um, because, you know, he's obviously invo- involved in this alleged sort of leaking scandal himself. And with the, with the current case, yeah. uh, this is to, to, to make the texts public. Well, the, 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 well, the, so 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 what you're referring to there, so the Sun, I think we even mentioned in the story in the Sun in 2020, was there a series of text messages that the Sun uh, uh, myself saw between that, Derek and Cousins? Well, there were. I would I would just say that were that 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 helped us publish the story. It was evidence that that was supporting our story. And by mm-hmm. the way, we got we got the fact that the DOJ, the American Department of Justice had investigated these leaks confirmed by both the Americans and by the British. The British mm. government were informed that this, that this investigation was going on. Mm. And it's interesting, there's a clip from, uh, I think, when Derek resigned in 2019, that Donald Trump, he's asked in a press conference about the resignation, and he says something like, there's, um, there's something I could say about Derek that I'm not going to say. <laughs> And I was told that this was in reference. I was told by the Americans that this was in reference to this. That's very, very Trumpy, Trumpy behaviour. Absolutely. Uh, but I suppose the government do have a good or legally sound defence for not letting these things be published because they concern state secrets. So they can always fall back on that. I, and I, think, say, I think the messages, by the way, the messages, I think it's a bit of a red herring. I don't mm-hmm. think it's... I, I, I don't think those messages are part of this court case. I don't think that that's necessarily what this row is about. Right. The government could argue that what... Basically, what the government is arguing is that they've got evidence that is so secret yeah. that no one can see this, and it's evidence in relation to this case. So they're going to hold what... They want to hold what's called a closed material hearing. So they, they will produce evidence that is so highly classified that even the um, claimant's lawyer cannot see it. So that's the government's defence, is that, you know, this is, this is in relation to national security, yeah. and, you know, this and stuff but, cannot be public. But what I'm saying is that's quite a good trump card, whether you think it's right or wrong. Well, it's, it's, it's difficult to, um, to argue against. Shouldn't use the word trump. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> one doesn't know what, they, what they're talking about, and that's the thing. And I think the problem is, and I think this is where, where the claimant has quite a good argument, is that this is... This isn't a case to do with terrorism. This isn't a counter-terrorism case. I mean, the counter-terrorism police investigated it. And by the way, the chap who they arrested, who's now suing the the government, was never charged. They Mm. released him from bail. Operation Asperite was closed in, I think, August of 2022, last year. I did a story in The Telegraph, where I now work, about that. Um, So so the police never made any charges. They didn't have evidence. Um, and 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 they ruin this man's life, and he's now basically saying that the civil the civil service, the Department for International Trade, and the Foreign Office um, behaved very badly, and he's making it, these these allegations against them. So the case it's not to do with terrorism. He's never been accused of being a terrorist, and this legislation that was brought in in 2013, the government at the time said that this was about cases involving generally terrorism and that's what they've used this justice and security act for in the past and it's it's something that journalists and i don't know if you've you'd ever heard of the justice and security act before this or not but it's it's, yeah well well i hadn't and and, you know it's it's not a particularly well-known piece of legislation it's used very very rarely i think because they have to publish 
figures every year as to how many cases they've used it in and which exact cases they've used it. Yeah. And I think in 2020 to 2021, which is the most recent figures, I think there was only five cases that they used as just, you know, it's a very, very rare piece of legislation to use. And I know that the government are very unhappy that this story has been published in the Telegraph and the Mail and the Times, this recent story to do with the Justice Security Act, mm. which, by the way, needs a minister to sign it off. And we won't know if a minister's done that either. The, the, the subtext of this story, uh, which I think made it sort of particularly interesting to a lot of people, was, was the sort of Brexit Remainer war mm. on a transatlantic scale uh, and the way it related to Donald Trump. Obviously, Tarek found Trump disgusting. That was obvious from the leaks. And I remember I was in the, at the embassy in Washington around at the time of the inauguration, and all the British staff there, all they would talk about was how awful it was having to sort of try and deal with these Trump people. And they, they just found it absolutely horrific uh, that they were having to talk to these people. But then, so I suppose what, what I'm getting at is that your story became seen as a kind of Brexiteer hit job. Uh, because it came from a member of the Brexit Party. Yeah, well, well, as you say, I was working for the Brexit Party at the time. I was also doing freelance journalism. Yeah. And since the beginning of that year, 2019, I'd been working with various newspapers on stories involving the civil service. And this was a particular interest of mine, it still is, mm. where civil servants are basically telling me that there is either corruption or political bias or whatever within their departments. There are some civil servants who are brave enough to expose these things that are going on. Mm. In particular, as you say, with the background of Brexit, with the context of Brexit, where you did have some civil servants who were trying to disrupt the Brexit process because of their own political beliefs. Now, you can make an argument as to whether they were allowed to do this because of Theresa May, who was also a Remainer and other ministers, you know, accepted yeah. this. Um, but I think there was definitely a, a, a degree um, of civil servants basically having their own views and putting them first before the wishes of the government and ultimately the wishes of the British people who voted for Brexit, obviously, in 2016. Mm. So I suppose the background, the, the context of that is important. Obviously, I was working for the Brexit Party. I was doing their digital comms. But I would argue this was a completely separate matter. Mm. Um, it You know, I've been speaking to civil servants and doing stories about all sorts of things. And the fact that Derek made these comments around Trump, as you say, it kind of hit into a certain, I think, worry from particularly Republicans that the British diplomatic establishment didn't take them seriously. I mean, I'll give you a good example of this. When Trump won in 2016, I was told that the British embassy hadn't even reached out to the Republicans before his win. They didn't even have a contact for the Republicans. They had to go through various uh, well-known Brexit figures who I won't <laughs> mention to try and get a number for the, for, the, for the Trump's team. That's how unprepared the British embassy was because they saw it as such a shock. You know, it was a huge shock for everyone, I suppose, on the liberal establishment, including the British embassy staff. And I think that, as you say, and, and I've spoken to various people in the Republican side and in the British diplomatic world, there was, there was a sense that the British embassy in Washington treated the Republicans and the Democrats very differently. They were very, the British embassy, the British embassy officials were very socially liberal, were much more likely to favour the Democrats on various different issues from abortion to gun rights. And they basically had this view, I think, this general view, that people who supported Donald Trump 
were were racist or were beyond the pale and if you are a british diplomat you should have britain's interests first it doesn't matter about your opinions on the domestic politics of the country in which you're based in you should be dealing with everyone on both sides mm. particularly the people who hold the presidency and if you're not t- taking them seriously um, then that harms britain's own interests in washington as well and and that points towards a, a very important part of this story which is the trade deal that donald trump repeatedly offered and of course we have to take everything donald trump says with a pinch of salt uh, but there was no doubt that the White House were keen to do, you know, this big, beautiful, beautiful, as Trump called it, trade deal with Britain as a sort of symbol uh, of of their acceptance of each other. And I think whatever one thinks about Donald Trump, whatever one thinks about Brexit, it was clearly in Britain's interest if it was leaving the European Union to try and make a trade deal with the US. And yet that was never progressed Again, that could be the fault could be at the American side there, that it wasn't really sincere. There are obviously massive hurdles to it, and people will say, you know, it's not that easy to do a trade deal. That's all true to a certain extent. But the fact is the opportunity was there, and there was not the the diplomatic establishment did not seize it. I think that's right. And I think there there was even a story, I forget it was either in the Times or the Mail, which actually accused Derek of Lord Derek of disrupting that trade deal. Um, and, and I forget who was making the accusation, but that was the headline I seem to remember reading. Mm. Um, I think my personal view on the trade deal, and I think there's a lot that could come out about this, and I hope that it does. You know, there could be a whole book written about why this trade deal didn't happen. Yeah. From what I and I've had discussions with people on both sides about this, and I think in, and there's blame on both sides. There's blame on the American side. You could there's some. I think there is a legitimate case to be made that there are some disingenuous remarks um, from from the Trump team about this but I think there was a genuine political will and opportunity for the British to engage with the Trump team and to engage with the Trump presidency and open talks serious talks on this trade deal and we only had in retrospect four years to do this because when you get the Democrats in it's far more it's far less likely that this trade well, deal is going Rishi to happen. Sunak is in Washington today, and everybody agrees that the trade deal's off the table. Absolutely, yeah. and I, but I think most of the blame has to go to British officials and British ministers who were not serious about this. They were never serious about having a trade deal with America. The discussions that were being had in the in the Department for International Trade were were amateurish, um, were not serious. I don't think there was the political will on the British side. For this to happen now maybe liam fox wanted it to happen i don't know he was the the department for international trade minister at the time Mm. but i think certainly from theresa may and certainly from senior um people involved in the may government there was there wasn't will there wasn't a political will for this trade deal to happen and i think civil servants were also involved in that in that blocking process yes um there's a i think as i said there's a lot that could come out about this hopefully in the future And it wasn't necessarily just an ideological animus, from what I understand. It was just that they couldn't take, even if the opportunity was real and serious, they couldn't take these people seriously. They couldn't talk to Steve Bannon, say, who was then chief of staff at the White House, and think he was a serious person because they thought he was a racist and a maniac and so on. And I suppose the the point that I think you you and I would agree on is that 
it doesn't matter whether you find someone appalling if you're a diplomat. You, you have to deal with them and you have to try and advance British interests and that just didn't happen. Well, I suppose it goes down to what sort of foreign policy you want. Do you believe in a real politique foreign policy where you're working practically with the, uh, the sort of various different competing ideologies in the world and one has to accept that some people disagree with you politically and not everyone can be a, a liberal Trudeau-style democracy. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to be dealing with a lot of people who are far more unpleasant than Donald Trump around the world and I'm sure we'd be happy to deal with them. Um, you know, the Saudis, for example, you know, we've got lots of relationships with various countries which, of, of which the leaders we find unpleasant, undemocratic, Mm. And all sorts of things, you know, that are far worse than anything Donald Trump has ever said or Steve Bannon has ever said. Mm. And yet in this instance, we British officials let that cloud their judgment, which I think was the, for the detriment of, of, you know, of our own country's interests, particularly with the trade deal. And that's a great example of that. And I think also with the Department for International Trade, it was a brand new department. A lot of civil servants didn't know what they were doing. I think there was a lot of people who were just who, who, who hadn't had the experience in this stuff. And we were offered expertise from various other nations, like in the Commonwealth, New Zealand, Australia, trade negotiators were coming to the Department of International Trade and saying, let us help you. And yeah. I, I think that there were many instances in which this help was turned down. And I think that the Department for International Trade were far too political in the way that they saw trade deals. And what I mean by that is they saw trade negotiations with various countries through the eyes of the domestic politics of those countries. Mm. And for instance, I spoke to a, a, a department, a, one Department for International Trade official who told me he was put in charge of, of the negotiating what's called a Kanzak deal or looking into that opportunity. So that's Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the UK, obviously. And I know a lot of people in think tanks in London are very keen on this idea. And this was put, he's, he was a very junior chap, and it was put on his desk and said, look, you look into this. And um, he, he was very keen on it. You know, he thought it was a brilliant idea, but he was told by his bosses, this is what he told me, that, oh, we don't do trade deals with white countries. Um, so, so, and he found that extraordinary. Um, that's just one story. And, yeah. I, you know, I... Maybe there's maybe you know that's just one allegation he made, but that that's what he told me, and I you know I believe him. I think that that was what the Department for International Trade was like. That's what a lot of civil servants are like, unfortunately. You know, I've done dozens of stories about wokeness in the civil service, and I think there is a real problem still today. You know, after uh, you know that old cliched phrase, after 13 years of Tory government, um, you know, the civil service is still in a way uh, its own entity. Um, and, mm. and, you know, what's the point in elections if, uh, if you can't change anything? Well, uh, we should end on that note because it's rather a good one. But I thought would like to well, ask one more question, Stephen. You, you obviously went through a hell of a lot. I didn't really, I've spoken to you about this before, but I didn't know quite how much you went through. Well, uh, I know this isn't uh, being filmed, but I've got lots of grey hairs. I'm only 23. <laughs> um, I'm not joking about that. You know, I, 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 look, it's not about me. You know, it's mm. sort of, I think there are wider issues at stake. But for sure, I mean, it was a, I was, I was 19 in 2019 when the, when the story with the mail happened, when the police launched their investigation. 
um, you know, as a young chap, and uh, you know, I didn't I didn't expect um, for a counterterrorism police investigation to happen to me at least that early in my career. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was two years of you know thinking that the police are going to be knocking on my door. I had to the police did send my lawyers a letter which I had to respond to. Mm. Um, you know, all my phone, my laptop, my my documents, everything, and there was hundreds of documents to do with the story and notes and things I had to hand over to my lawyers. I was told that the the police would. Um, use something called a production order which is basically if you've got journalist what's called journalistic materials where sources could be revealed for example the yeah. government the police can't just go and go and just raid a journalist's house they have to go to a, a judge and, and appeal for this production order so I was told there's definitely going to be a production order mm. and um, and when this, a civil servant was arrested in in October of 2020 that you know that just added to my concerns and I've and I've had to deal with um, some very interesting characters um and it's been a huge learning opportunity for me as well as a journalist i think i've seen um i, I i've dealt with a lot of lawyers i've dealt with a lot of different editors talking about these things and although it has been stressful in on many occasions it's also been a fascinating experience and um it, you know when you start working on big stories and i think it is a big story to do with Derek and his particularly the allegations against him leaking and things mm. you know um it's quite exciting and and, and you sort of you hear a bit of information from one person and you call up another person and you try and find out more and you have to spend months trying to prove it and speaking to all sorts of people and uh, i've been in washington and i've had meetings with americans and congress about this and that's the other aspect to it by the way is the you know there's some american congressional uh, con Congress people might investigate the DOJ investigation now the Republicans have the um, control of the House mm. so I know I, I've met with um, the oversight committee people for example in America and you know so there's been lots of interesting things that have happened but certainly the grey hairs as well that's the other aspect to it and it keeps going and it um, keeps going well Stephen uh, congratulations for sticking with it uh, thank you that's uh, very admirable and thank you very much for coming to the spectator thank you very much Freddie Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Faroz, and the rest of the Spectator's broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America. <laughs>